The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Irami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Cindy Spiegel, is adjunct professor at Parsons School of Design and Fashion Institute of Technology. She's been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, Glamour, Teen Vogue, and HuffPost, and is the author of A Year of Positive Thinking, Daily Inspiration, Wisdom, and Courage. Her new book is Micro Joys, Finding Hope, Especially When Life Is Not Okay. Cindy Spiegel, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. My pleasure. It's an interesting book. And, and I shared the be- you know, parts of the beginning of the book with somebody, and I got a very different response than I might have expected. Your book opens with a litany of... I mean, personal horrors that you went through through a 10-month period, all these terrible things that happened to you and people you knew. And it sort of sets the stage for the message in micro joys. So what I'd like you to do is to sort of give us a quick overview of what you experienced. Then I'm going to read what you said about it. And then I'm going to tell you what my friend said about it and get your response. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about this. All right. Well, there was a 10-month period of time that it was in 2020, and it was pretty bad. It started off with the pandemic for all of us. And in May 20, in May actually of 2020, my nephew was killed walking to a friend's house. Four months later, my mother passed away. My beloved mother passed away. Within a few weeks of her passing, my 49-year-old brother had a stroke and then went into cardiac arrest where he spent the next two and a half months in the ICU. Uh, We weren't able to go to the hospital at that point because we were in the midst of a pandemic. And so we called three times a day. My brother, who had just lost his son and his mom, and myself became caretakers. Luckily, graciously, my brother is still getting better, but came home about two and a half months later. And within a month of him coming home, I was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. So that, that is all that's that's everything I experienced within a 10 month time period. So let's let's just ask how you're doing with the breast cancer now. I am very well, thank you. I am very okay. well. That, that's good to know. So this is what you said. I'm just going to read this back to you. Sure. You, you write all of this, dear friends, occurred within a 10 month span of time. But here is what I also came to know during that same time frame. I am deeply appreciated and loved. And you can expand on that in a second. But I share this with a friend who is a very devout evangelical Christian. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, if all of that happened to me in a 10-month period, my reaction would be, God hates me and Mm -hmm. is punishing me for some 
deep sin that I don't even know I committed. Mm. So why, why is it that you didn't go down that dark hole and, and went in this very different micro joy direction? Well, I will say, and I mentioned this somewhere in the book, I, I did go down that dark hole. A friend at one point actually asked me quite sheepishly if, if I thought I might be cursed. And I said, well, it certainly could be. I don't think so. And I suppose my default isn't to go down that road. You know, I wrote this book about positive thinking a few years prior. I have always been an optimist. So microjoys is not about not going down or not going into that dark place. Instead, it's about holding two different things at one time, right? So holding the darkness and holding the light. I couldn't change what happened. There's nothing that I can do. I couldn't wish it away. I couldn't think it away. It certainly wasn't going to help me to think that I had done something that deserved that. So I, it's it's not my it's not my way. It's not my belief system to think that I'd done something to deserve it. What I did feel and was always fairly clear on was that. I'm not special in this. These sorts of things and this sort of compound grief happens to many, many people and maybe not in the exact same way and maybe not the exact same scenarios, but I'm not special. I've seen enough of the world to know that we will go through these things and we will, if we're lucky, we will move through and come out the other side. But I I never, it was, it's just not my default to feel as though this is something that I deserved. I think you, you raise a really interesting point. So people who respond the way my friend did, it's a kind of, I think it's called a humble brag, you know, that mm-hmm. God cares so much about me that God's going to curse me as yeah. opposed to God doesn't even know I exist. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the universe is so constructive that that the universe knows, well, let me see what's, let me check in on, on Rami today and see if he yeah, deserves right. a blessing or a curse. I don't, I don't think it works that way. My religion says it does. You know, God writes this in the book of life or the book of death. I, I think that's just a silly idea. And, and it's really very narcissistic. Yeah. But but okay, putting all that aside, I don't think that's the way it works. And, and you write about, again, I'm going to quote you, say, micro joys teach us to hone our ability to live within the gray. And I really like that idea of living within the gray. Well, one of my favorite I, I guess you call it a teaching from Taoism and, and Qigong is this Qigong posture of monk begging for rice. And it's a, it's a standing posture. And I won't go into the details of how you do it. Basically, you're standing up and your hands are outstretched the way you would hold a tray of cookies or a tray of, of drinks or something. And your palms are up and you're holding this tray. And the idea is that you're you're open to what the Taoists call the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows of everyday living. You're going to get them both. Or in the Jewish tradition, or, you know, it says, um, you know, you're, you're going to get life and death, blessing and curse, because mm-hmm. that's what it is. You know, there, there's the assumption in the Bible that you can choose life and avoid the rest, the negatives, but that's not true. I think if you read the passage properly, it says, choose life and you're going to get birth and death and blessing and curse because that's how it works. And your book is all about living in that gray, neither, and again, I'm back to quoting you, neither perfect nor imperfect, and yet still capable of beauty. Mm-hmm. And then you, you go on to say micro joys are revolutionary. I'm wondering if that's why they're revolutionary because you can live in the gray and still find beauty. Is that what you have in mind? 
I, it is what I have in mind. It's this idea that nothing is absolute, right? In any moment, nothing is, ab- very few things I, I should say are absolute. We, this living in the gray is the majority of our lives, you know? And I think we're in such divisive times right now that it's hard for us to see beyond that. But it's really important for us to be able to tap into joy when we need to access it. I don't think it's a place we have to be all the time. I think we wouldn't get very much work done. Um, But I think it's revolutionary because it grants us permission or they grant us permission to feel two very different things at the same time and to hold two very different things at the same time, joy in one hand and grief in the other. And there's such humility in that. And I think that's very different than much of the messaging around positivity and happiness and joy, which presupposes we will feel those things all the time and micro joys don't. And then if you don't feel the positive all the time, there's something wrong with you. Sure. Yeah. You're, you, you lack willpower. It's, you know, the, the whole secret thing that it's all, the reality is what you think it. You yes. Know, and, and if you fail in, in having the kind of reality that that's all happy all the time, then something something is really wrong with you. And because that's an impossibility, a lot of people who are trying to achieve that can only do so with the help of, well, I mean, they can't achieve it, but they'll try to achieve it with the help of drugs and other kinds of of escapes that give them the illusion that they're they're on their way to this 24-7 happiness. Yeah. Which is just which is just ridiculous. You you take a very different approach, obviously. I mean, you say that micro joys require us to to sort of hone the ability to accept life as it is, and and I'm curious as to what keeps us from doing that. I mean, life is what it is. So why do we have to learn to accept it? Yeah. Why? I mean, it's it's already happened. So so whatever life is in the moment, it's already happened. So. Why do I have to accept it? It's already there. You you went through, you experienced the diagnosis of breast cancer. Yeah. So what's there to accept? Well, now, what so, you do with it is another question, but why do you have to learn to accept it? Well, I um, think the first step is accepting it. Because okay. what so often happens is we want to numb out from it. And in the numbing out that you just talked about a moment ago, and whatever tactic or tools you use to do so, there is the non-acceptance. There is the attachment to the thing. There is the making the thing you, in this case, breast cancer. For me, the very first thing I had to do was accept what was directly in front of me. Just because something happens doesn't mean I accept it. And I think we live in a world where as simple as it sounds to simply accept what is, many people don't do that. And in that acceptance, we are able to move through the world with a different sense of purpose and of humility. But if we pretend that the things that have happened to us didn't happen and we numb out and try to avoid them, to me, there's this depth of life that we're not experiencing. So that accepting for me meant sitting with myself quite a lot, not necessarily telling everyone, really going inward and seeing how I felt about the scenario and the situations that I was in. But I think that acceptance sounds a lot easier than it is. Yeah, the way you're the way you're describing it. Yeah. I I think you're you're absolutely people are in denial about, you know, what's really what's really happening with them. I'm not sure 
I, I think, it, you know, I'm, it's, it's just me personally. I don't know if how I feel about something matters as much as simply accepting the fact that it's real. Mm-hmm. You know, I may like it, I may not like it, but it's X, X is happening. Now what do I do about it? I, I know that for some people saying, well, I accept it and therefore there's nothing I can do about it. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying acceptance is the first step to then doing something with it. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say, I think both of those things are true, right? I don't know that you're doing anything with it. So for me, you know, and again, I'll use my diagnosis. There was an acceptance of what is, and that freed up the space for me to forge a path forward, right? That's what I meant. In that way, yeah, there, there is some action, but I had to get through that acceptance piece first. I, I didn't want to hide from it. I didn't want to pretend it wasn't happening, but I needed to do that first in order to forge that path forward. And sometimes that path forward meant doing nothing. There's an inaction that could happen as well, but it is a choice. So talk about that because that, that's really interesting. Sometimes the thing to do is nothing at all. So I, you know, I talked a bit about this in the book and I said, one of the most difficult things that I did over the past few years was spent time not doing, you know, living in New York City and constantly moving, moving, moving. It was really difficult to not do. And having gone through so much in 2020, the only option or what I felt like was the only option for me was to not do, to undo undo many of the beliefs that I held, undo some of the realizations that no longer existed to sit quietly enough. And I don't mean quietly in meditation, but to be present enough to really deeply understand where I was in that moment and who I was in that moment, because I am no longer the same woman that I was before all of this happened. And that not doing piece is where I was able to grow from. It's how I was able to move forward, not move on, but move forward. And if I continued to push and do and do, it would have had perhaps the opposite effect. A lot of times doing is a, it's another kind of drug. It's just, I'm just going to, you know, it could be, I mean, there's different ways of approaching doing, but you just keep doing and doing and doing as opposed to being present to what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think particularly with the lifestyle that I led beforehand, where, you know, it's, it's, it was one in which there was always something to do and somewhere to go constantly. You know, you're making lunch dates with dear friends for three months from now that live in the same city. And I do think it's a bit like a drug, right? It's that constant, it means something about you if you're busy. In our culture, it means, it means that you, you are doing something that matters. It means that your, your love that, that you matter in the world because you somehow have a really packed schedule. And so I had to undo a lot of those beliefs and to say, I matter whether I'm doing something or not, which was very, that was very new for me. Yeah, because we define ourselves as a human doing rather mm-hmm. than a human being. Sort of trite right thing to say, but but yeah. But accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's, it's, it's cliche because it's accurate <laughs> and, and people say it. So I, I want to talk to you. I, I, one of the things I loved about the book, and, and I, don't, I don't know you, so I don't know if this is your personality or not, but I, I, my fantasy is that it speaks to your personality. So you have a chapter, and, and for those snowflakes who are listening, 
there's, there's going to be a, a, a language trigger here. So watch out. So you have a chapter and it's called Time is an Asshole. Yeah. Okay. And then there's an asterisk. Okay. So I, I said, wow, time is an asshole. Let me check the asterisk. And you write, dear reader, please don't allow this language to distract you from this hard-won wisdom. So I thought, okay, so now she's backing away from this. But then she goes, so let me read the whole thing. Dear reader, please don't allow this language to distract you from this hard-won wisdom. Time really is a complete and utter asshole. <laughs> you double down on it. So tell us why time is a complete and utter asshole. Well, you know, there's not enough of it much of the time, you know, it's, it's life is short. And when I think about the level of loss that I experienced and we experienced in general, you know, I, I, what other way is there to describe it except time is an asshole? You know, we've got to accept what is in front of us in this moment, use the candles, do the things as silly or cliche as they sound, call the person, say, I love you, do all of the things that everybody on the internet tells you to do. Because really time is, we don't have enough of it. We don't know when the last moment is that we will be with someone that we love. And so if we continue to take advantage of time, we lose it and we don't we have, there's a sense of urgency behind time as an asshole, not rushing, but doing the thing that you've been meaning to do or that is important to you today, because none of us are granted another day, another moment on, on earth. We're not. And so, yes, it is my sense of humor, but it is also my deep belief that time is in fact an asshole much of the time. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You know, I had this experience just a few weeks ago where I blacked out. So I didn't, I didn't pass out. I've had, I've had moments when like your blood pressure drops and you can feel yourself fainting and I, and I fainted, but this wasn't like that. This was like a light switch turning off. It's like when there's a, a blackout in the city and all of a sudden your lights just go out. It's just on, snap off. And I was in, in the bathroom, I was going to go brush my teeth and I was just gone. And I fell on the floor. I didn't, I didn't know any of this. I just was off. And I came back a few moments later, I guess. My wife found, heard me fall and she came out, but there was no cry on my point, my, on my side. There was no sound other than my body just collapsing to the floor. And when I came to, I mean, ended up being rushed to the hospital and all kinds of other things. But the interesting thing about it for me was the off, the on off, the immediacy of, of off that time simply ended. You know, there was no fading away. There was no opportunity to say goodbye. You know, if that was the end of it. I mean, you know, there, there was nothing. It was just, oh, I'm going to go brush my teeth and then snap. Complete, gone. 
just, you know, in, in the Heart Sutra of the Buddhists, they have this wonderful mantra at the end, gate, gate, para gate, para sam gate, bodhisattva, gone, gone, gone beyond the very idea of goneness. And then it ends with wisdom. Wow. You know, and it's like, but I didn't get the wisdom part. I just right. got the gone, gone, gone beyond all gone. And it was, it it brought home the way other kinds of, of passing out has never had, that at any second, you simply could be literally gone without any warning, without any prelude, just, you know, no one at your bedside, no one, nothing, just Rami's here and Rami isn't. And it didn't leave me with the oh, life is so precious. Sure. It left me with this moment, the, the sense of, wow, I could be off at any time. Didn't, you know, it, it didn't leave me with a sense of, oh, I better use this moment to its fullest. It was, I don't know if this moment has the fullest. It could just end at any, at any time. It was very challenging, liberating, but not mystically fulfilling in any way. It was just just an existential sense of, you know, if you want to say time is an asshole or or time is just not reliable. It just can go off at any second. That, that's what, you know, when I was reading the book after this experience, that's that's what I was sensing as I read your you know, the chapter title. Well so that to me, the the story that you just shared about blacking out is the that is what time as an asshole is. You know, you can be one here, you can be here one moment and gone the next. The same is true of everyone else. And I don't know that I, it's about precious. It's not precious. I think it simply is, right? right. We only have this moment. It's not good or bad or precious or not precious. It simply is. And so we have a choice when we are present, when we are still here to act accordingly. And I think we have to be really mindful of the, the, the time that we have here, because as you learn very quickly, there, there, there's not always an opportunity to do all of these things. And when the lights go out, the lights go out, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the idea. I mean, it's just is and then isn't. I mean, that, that's what it was. At that, at that, and then it was is again. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> you know, what the hell happened? We're almost out of time. But, but I want to introduce one more concept that it'd be a great way, I think, to, to bring the conversation to a close. I don't know, and I, I, maybe I should have looked it up, but I didn't, if this is your word or if it's an actual German word. But you, you write, uh, you're talking about the opposite of schadenfreude. I love the German word schadenfreude. Schadenfreude means taking joy at another's suffering. It's one of my favorite pastimes, <laughs> you know, especially people who disagree with me religiously or, you know, politically. If they, if they, you know, I, I love, I, you know, I, I love the feeling of schadenfreude when it comes to my favorite congressperson, George Santos. I just love that guy. So. Well, like this essay. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I love schadenfreude, but you introduce another word. And again, tell me if it's really a German word or because or, I didn't look it up or if it's your construction. But you came up with this word or you introduced us to this word, Freudenfreude, yes. taking joy in another's joy. Tell us about that. And that's what we're going to use to bring this conversation to a close. 
So first things first, I most certainly did not make this word up. It is a word, but I will say it's a word that many German people don't know, but it is in fact a word and it speaks to allowing yourself to feel the joy of others when you can't, or or maybe when you can have it yourself, but it's the feeling of, you know, I think I, I spoke about an example of watching someone get, you know, engaged in the middle of Times Square. You know, and you can feel, even though you don't know these people, you have no idea who they are. You're never going to see them again. We can feel that joy. We can allow ourselves to feel the joy that emanates from them, right? So it's not, it's the exact opposite of, of schadenfreude. And I think that we have this ability to, when we can't tap into our own joy, allow ourselves to tap into that of others. You know, there are many situations where someone is going through something really beautiful and we get the opportunity to choose to be in that with them or not. Someone calls and says they, you know, they got a new job, whatever it is, whatever it is that brings someone joy. There are moments when we sit in that and we congratulate and we're happy. We're genuinely allowing ourselves to feel that happiness. And then there are other moments when we consciously are choosing not to. And this essay is about allowing yourself to feel joy to feel other people's joy. Yeah, I thought it was it was brilliant. So today, I I, I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I'm on a roll here. So, <laughs> so my seven year old grandson was was over today, and we were talking, and he was sharing something very positive, and and I was taking great joy. I, you know, I had the experience of Freud and Freud. I was taking great joy at his happiness, and I said something to that effect. But I think. What he heard was, you know, I'm taking joy in your joy. I think he heard something like, oh, I'm going to take your joy and make it my joy. Take it away. Yeah. And he says to me, talk to my lawyer. Oh. (laughs) I I said, what? He goes, yes, you you talk to my lawyer about that. And I said, you know, what do you mean talk to your lawyer? And he goes on and on about a lawyer. And and I later I asked him, you know, what, what do you know about lawyers? And he said, I learned it from Winnie the Pooh. Something on something on Winnie the Pooh and and Tigger, you know, said, you know, I'm going to get a lawyer. So so he he was defending himself against a misplaced Freud and Freud. So you have to be, you have have to like look at these things sometimes from a seven year old perspective. Correct. When you're feeling his joy, this is not exactly. That's not not what we're talking about. Our guest today, Cindy Spiegel, is the author of. Micro joys, finding hope, especially when life is not okay. You can learn more about her work at cindyspiegel.com. Cindy Spiegel, thank you so much for being with us on the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. It was a delight talking for, <laughs> with you. And, and I'm going to have the experience of Freud and Freude as your book takes off. <laughs> but you won't you won't need a lawyer though. <laughs> I will get one just because I can, because I've learned that from a seven-year-old. There you go. There you go. Thank from you so mouth, much. Thank from you. the mouths of babes. You're welcome. Thank you. Take good care. Bye-bye. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Brenna Lilly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your Apple Podcast app. If you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. This is Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.
What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.